Glory to Jesus Christ, Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their history, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois, and this is the story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the Light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by the iconography of Father Thomas J. Loya. Father Loya's iconography for your prayer and home devotion may be obtained by going to MorningstarBooksAndGifts.com That's MorningstarBooksAndGifts.com Then click on the Art and Decorative link and click on Icons in the drop-down or call 630-629-1720 Morningstar Books and Gifts 28 West St. Charles Street, Lombard, Illinois And by EasternChristianMedia.com a multimedia portal for you to learn more about the Eastern Catholic Churches. That's easternchristianmedia.com. Glory to Jesus Christ. Welcome to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loyal, your host. And we have entered a new year in the secular calendar, not a new year in the Byzantine liturgical calendar that actually started in September. But in the secular calendar, of course, we've just entered into the new year, and many of you probably made a New Year's resolution. It's always a tradition. You probably made that about a week ago, and perhaps that resolution has already been broken. Well, I'm going to give you a little bit of advice on that before we get into other aspects of our Light of the Easter today. Just a little hint on how to make resolutions or how to make, in a sense, contracts or promises or covenants to yourself or really it's to Almighty God as we try to improve our lives. And I have to do this a lot, actually, with people as I counsel them or offer them spiritual direction because people have a tendency today to become easily discouraged. And it is easy to get discouraged, but we should not be discouraged. I always say the D words. Be careful the D words. They have to do with the devil. Think of devil, discouragement, disappointment, despair. That's how it works. It is the disappointment, discouragement, despair, all having to do with the devil. So think of those D words. You want to avoid the D words. And when people try to improve, they maybe they try to break addictions, they try to make resolutions, such as a New Year's resolution, and they're always famous for being broken. I often explain to them to look at these things and approach them more incrementally and more on the basis of manageable goals. In other words, it's kind of like in sports. Winning begets winning. If you make a goal that seems challenging but yet manageable and you make it, it tends to goad you on. It tends to inspire you. It tends to instill in you, rather than disappointment, 
encouragement, which is not a D word, it's an E word, encouragement, like excellence, eschatology, all kinds of, well, there's other E words too, but whatever, the point is, avoid the D words. So you can do that by looking at things more incrementally. In other words, make smaller goals, more manageable goals, and build upon those. And this is actually a little bit of wisdom from Eastern spirituality. It's from our spirituality of divinization. Now, that's a good D word, divinization, or the ongoing growth into the likeness, the image and likeness of God. It's something that was modeled on Mount Tabor in the transfiguration. In other words, where Christ was transformed before the very eyes of the apostles. And in doing so, he really showed or modeled this sort of process of becoming. And usually with, for human beings, this works more successfully if we do so in a kind of an incremental way. So let's put victory on top of victory on top of victory. So if you broke your New Year's resolution, as it were, don't feel too bad. Don't get discouraged or disappointed. Hopefully you won't go into despair, of course. But rather back up and maybe renew them or make different ones, but make short-term manageable goals and do it incrementally. In other words, let victory build upon victory. And I, I assure you, that you're going to make a lot more progress in your resolutions and your spiritual life than if you try to just sort of, well, I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm going to put my mind to it. And then a few days later, a week later, a few weeks later, we fail, or even a few months later. And then we get discouraged and we just forget about it and abandon it. Rather, keep at it by incremental kind of goals and efforts. This is the process of divinization. It's always ongoing. It's never just all or nothing. So just a little bit of... uh, Wisdom there from the Eastern Churches as we begin this new year. We're also in a very special time of the year, a very holy time. Actually, we're in a time of the baptism of Christ or the theophany for those Eastern Churches that are on the Gregorian calendar. Some Eastern Churches are still on what we call the Old Calendar, the Julian calendar, and they still are within the Christmas season. So we want to wish our brothers and sisters in many of the Eastern Catholic or Orthodox churches who are on the Julian calendar, we like to wish them a blessed feast of the Nativity of our Lord God and Savior Jesus Christ in the flesh. But for the others on the Gregorian calendar in the Eastern Catholic churches and in some Orthodox churches, we are celebrating this week the baptism of Jesus Christ. Now, we're going to get to that in a moment. I just want to bring you up on a couple of news events, one of which is, speaking of the Orthodox churches, the sources from the New Advent. And the New Advent says that in religious matters, Uzbekistan is earning itself a position as one of the most hostile in Asia. Yes, see, what happened was this. The Russian Orthodox patriarch, Kirill, was supposed to have traveled to Tashkent to celebrate 140 years of the Orthodox Church in Uzbekistan. I bet you didn't know there's an Orthodox Church in Uzbekistan. But the authorities prevented it from happening. In July, Moscow changed the church's structure in, in Uzbekistan and appointed a new bishop without first obtaining the approval of Uzbeki leaders. There were ceremonies held at Tashkent for the celebration, but neither Kirill, you know, the Orthodox Patriarch, nor any other prelate from the Third Rome were able to attend. Now, that word Third Rome is in quotes because Moscow was oftentimes referred to as the Third Rome, at least certainly by themselves. See, there was Rome, there was Byzantium, and now Many, many centuries later, there is today the so-called Third Rome of Moscow. But you see that even the Russian Orthodox Church, 
is running up against opposition from secularism and other forms of prejudice and persecution. Not only the Eastern Catholic churches or the Roman Catholic Church in different parts of the world today, but even the Russian Orthodox Church. So again, our, our prayers are with them that that situation can be healed and improved upon. Another event is some news about the Shroud of Turin. And that's kind of of interest for us in the Eastern churches because it is an icon, as it were. It is an image, and that always interests us. In the Eastern churches, we're always interested in things that everyone can see. We're not quite as interested in private revelation, although we don't deny them. But the particular bent of the Eastern churches is to put more stock in images or visions that are seen by many or by, in a sense, everyone. They're available for all. In other words, they're not private. So the Shroud of Turin has a bit of interest for us. And there was a recent update on that. The title of the article is Shroud of Turin, Jesus' Proposed Burial Cloth is Authentic. Italian study suggests. Okay, that headline is just slightly misleading because they make it sound like it's very authenticated and it's definitive. But what they're saying is that many studies, in this article, it brings out that many studies seem to indicate or point to the fact that the Shroud of Turin may in fact be that cloth which covered Jesus Christ when he's taken down from the cross. Now, the article says this, and again, this is from the Huffington Post of December 21st, 2011. A lead researcher for the church, Professor Manuel Marinelli estimates the cloth is at least 95% authentic. Nobody can give 100% guarantees 2,000 years after it had been found, he says, quote unquote. But it's kind of interesting that there seem to be more and more evidence that this cloth may in fact be the cloth that wrapped Jesus' body. And that is amazing. Now, again, it's not absolutely definitive, but it, it seems to be pointing more and more that way. Well, actually, the, the most skeptical of researchers is going to come from the church, because the church is going to be very hesitant to name something of this magnitude as an authentic kind of relic, but it just may be. So anyway, a little bit of an update on that image, which always interests us in the Eastern churches. One more news item I'd like to bring you up to date on, and this is something that follows up on some recent programs we had where we interviewed our good friend, Abbot Nicholas, from Holy Resurrection Monastery. If you go to the website for the New Liturgical Movement, that's newliturgicalmovement.org, newliturgicalmovement.org. And this was posted December 14, 2011. The title is Christian East, Profession of a Stavrofor, Nun in Byzantine Catholic Cathedral of St. John the Baptist. I was rather impressed by this coverage. It has many beautiful photographs of an event that happened at a cathedral, which I attended, proud to say, in which a nun, a female monastic, we call them, still call them monks, whether they're male or female, we call them monks in the Eastern churches, but most people would know a female monk is a nun, so I'll call her a nun, where she took on a certain profession in the Eastern monasticism, which is called stavrofor, which means a cross-bearer. In other words, she gets a robe in which there is an image of the cross. And the article says this, and here is something one does not see every day, some of the ceremonies associated with the nuns of the Christian East. In this instance, we are witnessing the life profession of Mother Theodora as a stavra for a nun within the Christian East. From what I understand, there are the following rankings or classes, if you will, of monks and nuns. First, a novice, then the rasafor, which means you can wear a riasun, which is like the kind of the long flowing outer garment. The stavrafor, which means... You, you wear an image of the cross. And finally, a shamanan or shaman monk, if it's male or female. If it's female, it's a shamanan. <laughs> and these are the different classifications of the monastic in the Eastern churches. And this was witnessed at our cathedral, proud to say, in Parma, Ohio. And again, you can look at that by going to newliturgicalmovement.org, newliturgicalmovement.org. Please stay with us on this feast of the Theophany, the baptism of our Lord Jesus Christ in the River Jordan. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East.
Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion. And to tell the story of the Eastern Lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support. In order to keep Light of the East on the air, you can make a donation now by going to ByzantineCatholic.com. That's ByzantineCatholic.com. Click on the radio button and then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. listening to the choirs of Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish under the direction of Timothy Woods in Homer Glen, Illinois. This is the music you hear on Light of the East and is sung during the sacred liturgy at Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish. All we ask is a donation of $15 or more, which includes shipping and handling, to Annunciation Parish for each Theosis CD. Send a check made out to Annunciation Parish at 14610 Wilcook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. And may God grant you... You're listening to Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. The Tabor Life Institute, which is dedicated to the formation and education in the theology of the body. To find out more about the Tabor Life Institute, you can go to taborlife.org. That's taborlife.org. Especially if you're interested in conferences and retreats, in particular for youth, young adults, and also for those of you who speak Spanish. That's TaborLife.org. Welcome back to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loya, your host, and I gave you a bit of update news around the Eastern world in the first half of the program. Now, this part of the program, I want to focus on this magnificent feast day of the baptism of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this is called theophany, which means a showing forth of God, you know, theo, God, phanic, in other words, like epiphanic, showing forth of God. It can also be called epiphany because epiphany does mean manifestation. Now, in the Western church, you're more familiar with the epiphany, meaning the visit of the three kings to Christ which carries the same theme, the theme of here God is being revealed and revealed to all the world, to the Gentiles, and they are taking this revelation to all of the world. Same thing happened at the baptism of Christ. Now, the reason we call it theophany is because what happened there was a showing forth, a manifestation, not only of Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, in his both natures as man and God, but also of the Holy Trinity itself. So that's the first significance of this event. And it's a very, very big event in the Eastern churches. In fact, it is really, if you want to put it in those terms, it's second in its solemnity only to the resurrection itself, you know, to Pascha, to Easter Sunday. That's right. That's how big this is. This is a great, great event, theophany, the baptism of Christ, the manifestation of the Trinity. Because as we read in the Bible, when Jesus entered the water, The Holy Spirit hovered over him, and the voice of his Father thundered from the heavens, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased, or whom my favor rests. 
And so it was a manifestation of the Holy Trinity. And for the Eastern churches, that is huge. It is very, very big. We're a very Trinity-oriented church. In fact, we end our prayers invoking the Trinity. We begin them invoking the Trinity. In the West, they often end prayers by saying, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, and that type of ending, or through Jesus Christ our Lord. In the Eastern Church, we always end with a kind of a doxology in a sense. We always mention the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, now and ever and forever, or now unto ages of ages. Amen. So the Trinity is huge in the Eastern Churches, and therefore this event is huge because it was the revelation of the three persons of the Trinity. Now, Also, it is, of course, the baptism of Christ. And this is very significant, not so much for Jesus Christ, of course, because as we say in our liturgical texts and our prayers of this day, of this week, of the Theophany, we say that Christ did not need to be baptized. He was pure. You know, baptism is for the forgiveness of sins. So why was he baptized? Well, he was baptized so that we could be baptized. If he wasn't baptized, our baptism really wouldn't mean too much. Even the baptism of John had its real fullness only when Christ came along and was baptized then, and the Trinity appeared, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Christ was baptized so that we can be baptized. In other words, anything that happens to Christ happens to all of us. So when we are baptized, we are being baptized into Christ's baptism. In other words, he kind of opens a door. He makes it possible by the fact that he took on human nature, And although he's one person, he sums up in his whole person all of humanity. In other words, all humanity that came before him during our time, his time, and even to the end of time. That's right. It's all summed up in him. So what happens to his one body, his one human body, happens to all human beings all human bodies, all human persons. What happens in the, in the human nature of Jesus Christ, who is both God and man, but one person, two natures, what happens in that human nature is the summation of all the human experience of all human beings before and to the end of time. And so he enters the waters of Jordan so that we can be baptized. So this is why this is such a significant and pivotal event. Again, he did not need to be baptized. We do but it wouldn't mean anything unless he did it first. And in doing so, he cleanses our nature, but not only our nature, he cleanses the very quality of creation itself. In fact, once again, we go to the iconography of the church. Just as we saw in the iconography of the birth of Christ, we saw the elements of the universe, of the created order, meaning everything was touched by the incarnation. So too, We see angels, we see the Holy Spirit, we see the sky, we see water, we see human beings, and we see God, all in the same icon. In other words, it all comes together. Heaven touches earth. Heaven cleanses and sanctifies, sacramentalizes the earth by the fact that God enters into one of the basic elements of the earth, of water. You know, water is in almost everything. I think it is in everything in some form or another, or certainly most everything. And so, as Christ enters into the water, he enters into all of creation and therefore brings a quality to creation that, in a sense, elevates it, you know, divinizes it, just as he did in his incarnation, at his birth. And in fact, historically, before about the fourth century, 
these two feasts were celebrated in a sense as one continuous feast in the Eastern churches. In other words, Christ, nativity, and baptism were celebrated together. And the greater emphasis was on the baptism. It really wasn't on the birth of Christ. What happened was, it was the West that started to emphasize the birth of Christ. And the East, actually, that's one time when the East was perhaps influenced by the West in this regard. And during John Chrysostom's time, the fourth century, they began to then sort of parcel out from the baptism of Christ the event of his nativity, and they made that a separate event. But when you look at the prayers, the iconography of both of these events, the whole spirituality of them, you can see that continuity where nature is affected. There's a showing forth. There's an incarnational dimension. There's a touching of heaven and earth and the changing, therefore, of the things of earth. And finally then, because Christ enters water, the quality of water now is changed or elevated. Notice how often water is used in the church, in its liturgy and for blessings. And notice water itself. Why did God choose water itself? Well, just as in baptism, water is used. Why? Water cleanses. Water drowns. Water can kill. At the same time, water is absolutely necessary for life. Next to oxygen, water is the next most important thing. We cannot exist without water. We can exist longer without food. We can go quite a, quite a while without food or substantial food, but you cannot go very long without water, and certainly, obviously, not long at all without air. So water is a profoundly significant aspect of life on this earth, in this whole created order. And so water, the quality of water, becomes even more sanctified. It becomes sacramentalized, all of water, which is why we have the custom of what we call the great blessing of water during this theophany. Oh, it's a magnificent ceremony with these long, beautiful prayers that are very, very, very incarnational. They speak so much of nature and of God coming into nature. And we use water at this ceremony of blessing, and we also use it to bless things with. We bless the church, we bless people, we, bl- we partake of it, we drink of it, we sort of, we, we sprinkle it on people, sort of, it's sort of in us and out of us, sort of immerse ourselves in it. We bless homes, we bless articles, we bless everything with this holy water, because it has within it, literally, the presence of the Holy Spirit. Water, during the Theophany in the Byzantine church, we say that it is not only blessed, we call it the great blessing of water, or actually we call it the great consecration of water. Yeah, consecration. That's a, in a sense, that's a step above, in a sense, blessing, as it were. Some of our, as a famous chef would say, we sort of kick it up a notch, and we consecrate that water. In other words, we breathe over it. We call down the Holy Spirit upon that water. The priest puts his hand in that water in the form of a cross. He sticks a cross in it, plunges a cross in it, puts his breath into it, and then says the magnificent prayers over that water. So it's a very, very highly, highly sophisticated, deep, rich theological ceremony of the great consecration of water. Then we have another custom. Since God has sanctified all water by entering into it, the person of Jesus Christ at his baptism in the Jordan, so too does all water, in a sense, become connected with the Jordan River. In a sense, that's why we even call it the Jordan waters. The waters that are blessed during or consecrated during this ceremony are actually referred to as the Jordan waters. That's how intimate and uniting this event was. Christ enters in the Jordan, therefore all waters, in a sense, become mystically connected with the Jordan River. They all become Jordan water. And then 
we actually go to sources of water, such as ponds and lakes and streams. And fortunately, we're blessed on our property at my parish, Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish in Homer Glen, Illinois, to have a spring-fed pond on our property, along with other running water on our property, which, of course, is all part of our natural environment on our property. You can find out about this by going to byzantinecatholic.com. That's byzantinecatholic.com. And click on the landscape page. And you'll see then some of our Sustainable Environment Water Management Master Plan, which is actually an outgrowth of our sacramental spirituality. So what we'll do is I'll troop out there with the altar boys, and it's usually kind of cold because it's in January, obviously, and we'll bless that pond, that spring-fed pond. We'll bless that water by plunging a cross into it and saying the words. If it's not too frozen, we'll put the cross into it. The Greek people have a custom of throwing a cross into the water and the men go out and swim for it and go to retrieve it. So, but I think in Greece they probably have a warmer climate than we do at this time of year. You can see how comprehensive, how absolutely integrated the liturgy and the celebration of the church is as we enter into this great event of Christ's baptism, of the manifestation of the Holy Trinity. I want to thank you for listening. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Would you like to hear this Light of the East program again? Welcome to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loya. Or hear Father Loya's companion program, A Body of Truth. Just visit the radio page at byzantinecatholic.com. That's byzantinecatholic.com. Or hear it again. Hear it again. Hear it again. Hear it again. For the first time. Thank you for listening. Next week, we will return to the Light of the East. To find out more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, byzantinecatholic.com, where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue this program with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount would be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East 14610. Will Cook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. That's Light of the East, 14610, Will Cook Road, spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K, Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. From the Light of the East, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God bless you and grant you many happy years. Oh.